Hey, man, it's me, Kevin Smith. Are you listening to the right podcast? Because you're supposed to be listening to Three Guys in a Flick. Are you listening to that right now? Then you're in the right place. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. I get it. You're taking me back in time to show me my mother and father, and I'm supposed to get all goosey and blubbery. Well, forget it, pal. You got the wrong guy. Welcome back. You are listening to Three Guys in a Flip. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, Scrooged. Beware, spoilers. Coming to you from the IBC television control room, my name is Don. And to my right, we have our comic book guy, John. You can hardly see them nipples. And to my left, we have the professor, Ken. Hey, back off, man. That may work with the chicks, but not with me. All right. Uh, Tonight, we are in our third week of our holiday slash Christmas movie run. Previously, we did Elf and then Violent Night. And tonight, we are doing Scrooged. Uh, Did you guys see this when it came out in 88? I saw it in the theater with a wife. I did, too. Not with the wife. With somebody, I'm thinking. Yeah. Um, You didn't didn't know her name? I don't know. Wow. What kind of date was that? You don't remember her name? Probably the kind you have to pay for. Oh, well, hey, man, at least you're self-aware enough to admit that. I'm, I'm proud of you. That is that is a Christmas miracle, Professor. You hear that? Yeah. yeah. I like that. Good job. What about you? You see it in the theater? I did see it in the theater. In 1988, I was in the eighth grade, so I do remember seeing this. And I remember from the time I saw it, to even when, you know, last night when I watched it, whenever I think of Scrooged, there's only one scene that ever pops into my head, and it's the one where he can't get the antlers to stay to the mouse. And Bill Murray says, well, have you tried Staples? And for some reason, that's always stuck with me. So whenever somebody says Scrooge, that's what pops into my head. Same with me. That's why if any of our listeners went to our website or saw the teaser that we did, the only thing I could think of was a mouse with a stapler. You guys are fucked up. Why? I don't... It was fucking hilarious at the time. And the way he delivers the line. I mean, we'll get into it, but well, uh, have I, you tried staples? Well, I think it's funny <laughs> is the guy's all opposed to the staples, but he admitted that he tried crazy glue, which wouldn't be good for the mouse either. I noticed that last night when I was watching it. I noticed a lot of things last night um, that I'm excited to get into, so... Released on November 23rd, 1988, Scrooged was directed by Richard Donner and is based on A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. It was written by Mitch Glazer and Michael O'Donohue, and it stars Bill Murray, Karen Allen, John Glover, Bobcat Goldwaith, David Johansson, Carol Kane, Robert Mitchum, Alfre Woodard, and a bunch of other solid gold dancers. You guys remember solid gold? Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah, uh, I thought that was funny when they popped up on the on the thing last night. I went, "Oh yeah, the solid gold dancers." Uh, let me ask you guys this: When was the last time you watched Scrooged? It had to be on VHS. It'd been a while. Really? Yeah. Wow, that's a long time. 
sir? It's probably been a few years. Oh, yeah? In fact, this was the first time I think that Julie's ever seen it. Oh. And was surprisingly, too, I had my father watch it with us. He had never seen it. Wow. Yeah. Um, it. I think we watched it last year, maybe two years ago. I, I showed Elise. And I remember thinking back then, wow, this is kind of this. For some reason, I didn't enjoy it as much as I had in the past, I guess. Um, and I can't pinpoint why, but watching it again last night, I think I enjoyed it more than two years ago, if that makes any sense. Yeah, um, I totally get that. And and I started thinking about it uh, because uh, John had said, you know, uh, to quote John, it was painful to get through. And I remember thinking... Uh, I remember it not being that great, but I don't know if painful is the right word. And then watching it again last night, I'm thinking, no, in in my opinion, painful is not the right word at all. And then I started thinking, well, if would it make your top 10 Christmas movies? And then I started to think, does anybody even have top 10 Christmas movies? I don't know if I could think of 10 Christmas movies. Thank you. So what did I do last night? I went on to Xfinity. I started perusing Christmas movies. There's a million of them. Exactly. But they're all Hallmark. Or they're all just, you know, those cheesy types of movies. Yes. And then I started thinking, can I name off 10 well-known Christmas movies for my top 10? And then I started thinking, because obviously I was thinking too much. The truth of it is, there's probably five you know, top Christmas movies in my head. And then anything after that, I can take or leave. My point in saying all of this is, is Scrooge in that top five? Maybe not, but it could possibly be in that top 10. So. Potentially. Yeah. Because I, I don't, I didn't think it was as bad as um, you did. Well, let me ask you this. Sure. I've seen Scrooge, I'd say, you know, probably at least 10, 20 times um, and I remember every scene of it. So I think that's part of the reason that I was just wasn't feeling into it is because I've just seen it so many times. I've seen all the gags. I've seen all the stuff. And I, I remember, every time I watch it, I remember all the things I didn't like about it. The first few t- times I saw it. Was there anything that maybe you didn't remember being in the movie or any surprises for you in the movie? Or did you remember it all just like I did? Oh, I grew up watching this. Uh, So as soon as it came out on VHS or on HBO or whatever, um, I have seen Scrooge a dozen times as well. And so, um, no, nothing new uh, came up, I guess, uh, plot or story-wise. But what I was surprised by was I remember not liking... Uh, the Ghost of Christmas Past and the Ghost of Christmas Present. Not too much. But watching it again last night, I thought they were delightful. Did you know who originally they wanted to cast for the Ghost of Christmas Past? Uh, Sam Kinison. Sam Kinison. I think he would have been an interesting I thought. Yeah, I think he would have been great. Now, this David Johansson, I think was his name. Yeah. Do you Buster, know what else he's famous for? Buster Poindexter. Yeah, for yeah. hot, hot, hot. Yeah, and that's what I think of uh, every time I'd see him. Yeah, you know. I love his voice. I've always liked the guy who Buster Poindexter just has that deep voice, that recognizable voice. Acting wise, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, well, he doesn't have much to do in this, but as far as if it was Sam Kennison, I thought that would have been a very, very interesting, interesting take. Uh, now, you say you weren't a big fan of Carol King uh, at the time, maybe growing up or whatever. But last night, for some reason, I guess it would. You could say for the first time, I noticed all she does is beat the shit out of him. And I I think that's fucking hilarious. Um, 
So I enjoyed her. I I enjoyed her a lot more this time around. I've always been a fan of her from Taxi, sure, and, sure. and Princess Bride, and you know other things that she's been in. Uh, I guess in this movie, uh, Bill Murray wanted the violence to look real, so apparently she was really hitting him. She really hit him with a toaster and the lip thing where she pulled on his lip. She ripped his lip. She pulled so hard. Yeah, they had to shut down production for a couple of days. Yes, and yeah. she, I guess, uh, from interviews, uh, between takes, she'd be crying because she didn't like all the violence. Oh, yeah. So how'd this movie do, Don? This movie was made for $32 million, and it brought in $100 million, which isn't too bad. This movie was directed by Richard Donner. Love me some Richard Donner. Yeah, for had, the. For had it- Hasn't he done some other movie that you like? For the longest time, I don't know why. I must have forgotten it, or I just didn't know it. But as I'm watching it last night, I see a bunch of players that are in the Lethal Weapon movies, and I'm thinking, oh, this kind of has a Richard Donner feel. And then at the end, sure shit, it was Richard fucking Donner. Crazy, right? And then when it opened uh, the score, Mm -hmm. I thought to myself, God, that really feels... Uh, like Batman Forever and Danny Elfman. So, yeah, two things I didn't know, which I probably should have known. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Did you read about uh, Richard Donner's relationship with Bill Murray on, during the filming of this? Yeah, well, you could substitute Richard Donner for any director's name and Bill Murray. Uh, notoriously, he is hard to work with, mm-hmm. you know. But the final product, I mean, come on. That's why Bill Murray, who he is now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess Bill Murray uh, ad-libbed most of this movie from what I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. This was Richard Donner's first comedy, and he's coming right off of the first Lethal Weapon. He had made The Omen, Goonies, and Superman. And so he uh, takes a crack at a comedic movie with Bill Murray, and, you know, uh, famously they clash, and Bill Murray ad-libs and does his own thing, but... Richard Donner's smart enough to know that when Bill Murray does that, it is like magic. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And he's capturing it. And what we got, I'm sure, are hundreds of uh, ad-lib lines. But they worked because Bill Murray knows what he's doing. You know, might be a prick in real life or just maybe misunderstood or eccentric, whatever. But the motherfucker can act. So there you go. And Richard Donner, after this, went on to make Lethal Weapon 2. Is that the next movie he did? Yeah. So, so speaking of Richard Donner, what's your top Richard Donner movie? I'm curious to know. Mm, Gun to to my head, I would probably have to say, what do you keep looking at? Oh, Superman. He didn't do Superman 2. I know, but I was looking for Superman 1 because I know you talk about it. Oh, I know. Yeah, it's in the garage. Yeah. Uh, I rotate my posters. That's that's, that's what I want to know. What... You got a choice to make. Gun to your head, lethal weapon or Superman? Well, it would probably be... Oh, fuck, dude. Shoot me. Yeah, that's what we're going to go with. I'm going to pull a professor and say, I don't know. I don't have one. I I don't have one. What about you? You, Because you just said you love you some Richard Donner, just like I do. I think we're kindred spirits with the Richard Donner films, but what's yours? I'm torn between... Lethal Weapon 1 and 2. You got a favorite Richard Donner movie? Goonies. That's that's what I'm definitely going with. Yeah. That All right. Makes sense. So he takes Goonies, you take Superman, and I'll take Lethal Weapon. Which one? One or two? One. Because it starts it all? It starts the relationship? Yeah. Even though we don't get the, hey, Riggs, 
You know what I'm saying. But you do get, they fuck you at the drive-thru. That's in two. Oh, nice yeah. try, though. I like how you want to be part of the conversation. I, I, don't, I admit, I don't know my lethal weapon. And that's okay, because listeners, at some point, we are going to get to all four lethal weapons. All four? All four of them. It's a moral imperative. Wow. Better fucking believe it. And we are not going to start with three. Or two. Or four. So there you go. So this movie had a big cast. You know, uh, what'd you guys think of Karen Allen? She was really sweet. I really did enjoy her in the show. I thought she was sweet, but I also thought they didn't really use her much. They just had her kind of off to the side as a little hopeful, will he, won't he kind of girl. Um, I think that there was more there and uh, it probably all got cut out. That's what I'm thinking. But uh, for what she is, and I agree, she is not a huge part, but she has to be a huge part. Yeah, she wasn't used a lot, but I thought the way she was used was very effective. The part that I would say was the best example of her was when they went to the future and saw her as kind of the uh, evil version of herself. Sure. Yeah. The jaded bitch. Yep. 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 You have John Forsyth from Charlie's Angels fame and Dynasty. I was going to say Dynasty. Yep. Robert Mitchum. You know, this is the second film... The, the three guys have reviewed of Robert Mitchum. And in what world would you have ever thought that we would review any of Robert Mitchum movies, let alone two? I had no idea. Crazy, yeah. right? Yeah. I was going to say, what other movie did we review with him? Was he in The Natural? Cape nope. Fear. Cape Fear. There you You're go. right. You're yeah. right. There. I know I'm right. Okay, yeah. Yeah, crazy, huh? What'd you think of Bobcat Goldthwait? I've always liked him. I've always thought he was funny. Uh, I thought he was good in this. I re- think I remember <laughs> uh, when I was younger that the whining and the way he talked kind of got on my nerves. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I especially remember him from like Police Academy 2. But in this, I thought he was fine. I thought he did a good job. Yeah, I mean, I like Bobcat. Uh, it's just... He gets tiresome playing that same character in every movie with that screeching and the whining. That's how he really talks, though. No. Yeah. No, I've seen him in interviews. He talks normal. He always said one of his complaints was everybody wanted that character. Oh, when really? he does his stand-up, he does that character. But if you see him just talking normal, he sounds like everybody else. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. What about Bill Murray movies? You guys have a personal favorite for a Bill Murray movie? Oh my gosh. Um, that is a really good question, professor. And I think just off the top of my head, I have to throw in Caddyshack. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a solid Ghostbusters. Solid. Um, that's where I was going as Ghostbusters. Uh, stripes. Stripes. Yeah. What about Bob? What about Bob's good? But it, the movie didn't know how to end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it, yeah. Uh, what about you? What was your top? Maybe Groundhog Day, maybe. But I I, I love him in Caddyshack, and he's perfect in Ghostbusters. Yeah. I am surprised we have not reviewed Caddyshack yet. Oh, we'll get there. Mm-hmm. We'll get there. Uh, I'm, a, I'm surprised that there's a lot of movies that we haven't reviewed. So. I, I guess it just goes to show there's a lot of movies out there. Yeah. Ain't that the truth? One interesting thing I read is uh, when this movie was being made, they were making it around Christmas time, and Richard Donner went to the executive producers at Paramount 
and asked if he could give the crew the day off on Christmas. And they said no. Shocking. So he turned around and uh, Christmas Eve, he fired the entire crew. And then the day after Christmas, he rehired them back. Yeah. Roger Ebert said that this was the worst adaptation of uh, Christmas Carol. Uh, what is your guys' favorite? Well, let me hang on one second. Comic book guy, do you know what the Christmas Carol is? Yes, I have seen the original. Okay. I'm, and I've I, actually, I don't know if I've ever actually read the book, but I have been dragged to like the play version of it like a thousand times. Okay, okay. I'm just, I'm just making sure because I don't know how much Christmas, Christmas you get into. So can I tell a quick story? Oh, for fuck's sakes. It better be quick. Uh, early on when I was dating Julie and I was taken to meet the family, meet her sister, it was actually, they brought me to their local church to see an, a, a, you know, a version of a Christmas carol. They were putting it on a play or whatever. And, uh, so it was inside their church and her sister and mother leaned over to me and asked me how I was doing while we were watching it. And so I put my hands in front of me and looked at them and said, well, I'm not on fire yet. <laughs> Get it? Because you're Jewish. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, a sinner. Aren't we all? Uh, what's your favorite adaptation? 1953 All Stair Sims. Oh, really? Christmas Fuck. Carol. He knew it right off the fucking bat. Look at you. You know, I have to say for, I don't know if I have a favorite because I can't think of a whole lot of them, but I was actually comparing this movie to the recent Spirited that came out that's streaming. Have you seen that one yet? No, not yet. Uh, and I actually have to say, because that one is kind of an adaptation of it as well. Uh, I almost like Spirited better. Yeah. It's yeah. a musical. Of course it is. Did yeah. you, you've seen it, right? No. Oh, you haven't seen it yet. Okay. Make, the, the, the wife has. Okay. She enjoyed it. Hey, Christmas isn't here yet, so there's still time. So kind of Ryan Reynolds time. versus Bill Murray. Do you have a favorite version, a, a preferred version of A Christmas Carol? No, not really. Um, I like the Muppets. I like the one they did. That's a good one. Um, but no, not, I mean, it's it's a story that I've heard a thousand times, so, you know. IBC television president Frank Cross is pushing his company to broadcast an extravagant live production of A Christmas Carol on Christmas Eve making the staff work throughout the holiday. Frank fires executive Elliot Loudermilk for disagreeing with him and sends cheap IBC monogram towels to most of the people on his Christmas list, including his personal assistant Grace and his brother James. While the powerful and influential people on his list get an expensive forehead hi-fi stereo VCR, Frank's boss Preston Rhinelander sees the stress Frank is under with the production, Brings in Bryce Cummings to provide assistance, though Bryce secretly wants Frank's job. The night before the show, Frank is visited by the ghost of his mentor, Lou Hayward, an unloved miser who died from a heart attack seven years prior. Lou warns him three more ghosts will appear to him over the next day to help Frank avoid the same fate. Before it vanishes, the ghost dials up Claire Phillips, Frank's lost love from years ago. Claire comes to the network to talk to Frank, but Frank does not make time for her, and she returns to the homeless shelter where she works. So this movie opens up, and you asked me when we first started, was there anything new that I forgot? I lied. I completely forgot that this opening happened. And uh, we were on the North Pole, and we see Santa, and I, I fucking checked the menu. I said, am I watching the right fucking movie? Really? Yeah. My father, when I put on the movie, and it started up, he goes, 
This is not the movie you told me we were watching. I know. And then it turns out to be a promo with the $6 million man himself, Lee Majors. And then you got the premise of the storyline. And then I think I might have even said out loud to myself, hey, John, here's your Violent Night sequel. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, speaking of Lee Majors, do you know who they the direct, Richard Donner originally wanted in that role? Chuck fucking norris yes he's a huge chuck fan and unfortunately they could not get him for the movie i know i don't know what the fuck chuck was doing in 88 that he couldn't do scrooged but whatever and then we uh so we find out that it's promos and we open up in this boardroom and we're uh, immediately introduced to frank um what did you guys think of bill murray in this role what a complete asshole yeah total asshole i fucking loved him I thought it was a, a fairly good setup in that we get a you know quick impression of who he is by the way he reacts to the promos and all of that. And I think that even when I saw this movie way back when, I thought that from the opening to when we meet Frank to probably when uh, Karen Allen uh, visits him on set and they do the whole Staples bit, I always thought that part of the movie was solid. It moves good. The introduction to Frank is good. He is just a fucking prick, right? You you can tell right away that you know this guy has it coming. So he, yeah, he's he's got a comeuppance that yeah. is going to be a tall a tall bill for him to cash in on. And and that's the point of the story, right? Ebenezer Scrooge was a dick too, you know. So it's the same character. We just he's been modernized. What do you think of the promo that Frank came up with? Oh, I thought it was hilarious. Um, His version. It was ridiculous, right? I mean, who fucking airs that? Mm-hmm. But, you know. Well, Frank does. He does, and it killed somebody. Mm-hmm. Grandma. And then we meet Frank's assistant, Grace. What did you guys think of her? She was, she was definitely uh, a strong heart that he needed to have around him, close to him, to make him be a person. You know what I thought of? I almost thought of uh, Alfred to Batman. You know what I mean? Someone who's just... I can see that. She takes a lot of shit, and she's taken a lot of his shit. And so for her to still be by his side... Amazing. Absolutely. I mean, she is a saint. I almost felt like she was his Jiminy Cricket that he just ignored. Eh, kind of. He didn't take any of her advice, any of her wisdom. Uh, Just ignored her until the end. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so they air the promo, and then he doesn't like it, and then he airs his promo, and the uh, the people around the table don't like it, and then Bobcat's Elliot says something to him, has the balls to stand up and say, this isn't right, you know. Uh, I love the line where he says, uh, out of that promo, can you tell me uh, what that has to do with Christmas? And Frank says, nothing. <laughs> he knows. He doesn't care. I just thought, I thought that was good. Mm-hmm. So this bit, we are uh, being introduced to all the characters, right? And we even get introduced to uh, Frank's brother. And they go to this dinner or whatever, and he gets this award. And uh, he tells Grace before he leaves that you can't leave early. We got to work all night, blah, blah, blah. And so it's setting up the whole, you know, uh, the whole kickoff to this thing. He leaves his brother, uh, he leaves the award in the cab because he just doesn't care, goes upstairs, and then this is where we get visited by uh, the first ghost, his mentor. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you guys think of this whole thing? 
I thought he looked great. The Sorry. makeup, the makeup was great on him. Yeah, uh, and I loved a few of the lines, especially where you know when uh, I think it's Lou, is uh-huh. his boss, is giving the speech. You know that he was feared by men and loved by women. Come on, Lou, <laughs> women you had to pay for. <laughs> yeah. the women were paid for. Yeah, uh, the mouse coming out of his head—that yeah. was a good bit. I-, I read somewhere that the golf ball popping out of his head was supposed to be a reference to Caddyshack, but. He was dressed like he was out golfing, so I don't know if there's much reliability in that. I mean, I mean, who cares at that point? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because uh, you're right. He was, uh, he died on the golf course. I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. he died yeah. while he was. He was explaining that he was setting up a shot. Right. Yeah. I did appreciate the line when uh, Frank is shooting him, and he's trying to drink the alcohol, and he shoots the bottle out of his hand. Is it shoot me all you want, but not the liquor. Yeah, go easy on the liquor, bud. Um, and so he tells Bill Murray, uh, you're going to be visited by three uh, ghosts. Uh, this is your opportunity. Don't be a schmuck all your life. And, uh, you know. Don't end up like me. Right. You can turn it around. Uh, I like the bit where, you know, Bill Murray's uh, saying, no, you're just a hallucination, blah, 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 trying to rationalize everything. And then uh, the ghost picks him up and holds him outside the window. I thought that was a really good effect. What do you think of the, the ripping and the cracking at the arm? I thought it was great. I thought it was great. Totally. And then I, and then I started to think, wow, this is kind of like a horror comedy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, they they've taken the uh, Christmas story, uh, the Christmas Carol, and they've you know tried to horror it up a little bit. Well, so. it's also a part of the story in the first place, yeah. right? That uh, uh, that the, 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 there is dread and fear. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for the sure. the only thing that got me this part was I thought was okay, but then you know there's a lot more violence and a lot more slapstick in this than I would have expected. Um, yes, but I think it fits for this movie because at the time it was made and for what audiences were getting, mm-hmm. uh, it makes sense. You know, this was Bill Murray's return to the big screen after a four year hiatus type of thing. So, I mean, uh, expectations were high. Yeah. I guess before he agreed to make this movie, he was really thinking about quitting acting. And so after the ghost leaves, he wakes up in his chair or whatever. And then the phone dials Claire. And we are introduced to Karen Allen's character, who is, you know, uh, the love of his life, the, the one that got away. The one that got away, yep. Yeah. When we meet Grace... We get to see Grace at home. Outside and, of work. And we see that she has her kids. Uh, one of the kids is Nick from Lethal Weapon. Mm-hmm. He was one of the actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other, the daughter is Regina King. Did you guys know that? No, no I did not know that. Yeah, that's Regina King. And then we get to meet Calvin, and we come to find out that he doesn't talk. And he is definitely representing our tiny Tim. The grandma, she was from that show with Rerun and other characters. What's happening? What's happening? Is that the mom in that show? Yeah. Yeah, That's what I thought. I recognized her. Yeah. And then, so uh, Frank is under a lot of pressure. He was already, uh, he had a meeting with his boss, Preston, uh, the late, great Robert Mitchum. And, uh, this is where Preston kind of pitches him an idea saying that, you know, uh, dogs and cats are going to be watching TV. And I just thought how ridiculous, right? But you know, at some point, some executive in real life probably thought this. Well, they've already created shows and TV channels specifically for pets these days. That's just insane. 
That's just insane. So, yeah. So now you watch it with brand new eyes. Yeah. There you go. Uh, what did you think of this whole restaurant scene? They go have lunch and uh, Bryce shows up and, you know, Frank is obviously taken back and he was, he's waiting for the first ghost, right? And it's noon. And so he freaks out, but then there's the eyeball in his drink. Yeah. That was kind of weird. You know what I mean? Uh, and he starts seeing things like the waiter on fire. And I love when he throws the, he throws the water on the waiter. Did you catch what he said? Yes. Oh, I thought you were Richard Pryor. That is so fucked up. That, yeah. I had to explain, you know, it's such a fucked up statement that I had to explain to Julie what it meant. And even she went, oh, well, that's fucked up. Yeah. Because Richard Pryor lit himself on fire while smoking crack. Yeah, these days, again, there's things you could get away with back then that I don't think you could get away with these days. Well, yeah. So just before this happens, we do have Claire showing up to the set because of the message that Frank ended up leaving. And her showing up on set, he is immediately lifted and his and he shows a, a little bit of heart in his eyes, if you will. And we can see that there is a human being inside this callous man. And Bill Murray does a good job of conveying that. You know, just in, I agree. just in the way he plays it. I think it's important that we have that moment in the movie in order to let us know that he is somebody that has not always been like this. And we find out that Grace is working at a homeless shelter and, you know, Frank is still kind of, ah, you're just out there trying to save the world. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, uh... What did she say something to him? She like, says, you're still trying to, you're still trying to run it. That's what it was. Still trying to run it. Yeah. Good call. Yeah. Good she call. also calls him lumpy. And at this point, we don't know why. Right. She keeps referring to him as lumpy. And she says, why are you always so angry? Yeah. Why are you so angry? Yeah. And then right after this, this is where we have this huge catastrophe on the set and the set starts collapsing. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> can somebody please stop the goddamn hammering? <laughs> what did you think of the ongoing joke with the uh, censorship lady, the censor lady? I thought it was funny. Um, she kind of gets her ass kicked, but, you know, uh, she, so she's confronting him. She's confronting them about the solid gold dancers and that uh, you can see their nipples and they're having a conversation. Uh, but what gets me is after she gets knocked out and she's lying on the ground and they start doing their dance instead of, you know, is she okay? Get her ambulance, blah, blah, blah. He turns her head. He says, oh, can she turn? And the EMT is like, no. <laughs> and he says, see, no nipples. <laughs> well, the guy that, uh, the work guy that says you can hardly see them nipples, I guess he ad-libbed that line. Yeah, yeah. And then Bill Murray comes back with, and they're really trying, which I thought was great. That is a good line. Yeah. As rehearsals start, Frank is visited by the ghost of Christmas past appearing as a manic taxi driver he takes frank to see his past how he found solace in tv after his mother left his father and how he had fallen in love with claire but lost her when he prioritized his television career over her in the present frank goes to the shelter to see claire hoping to make amends however his attitude quickly sours as he shows his contempt for a homeless man named herman and the shelter workers he returns to the studio but not before telling claire If you want to save someone, save yourself. The ghost of Christmas present arrives as an ethereal, sweet-voiced fairy who punches, kicks, and slaps Frank to focus his attention. She takes him to Grace's apartment, 
showing his assistant's struggle to support her large family, including her youngest son, Calvin, who has remained mute since witnessing his father's death. The ghost then shows him James spending a humble yet festive Christmas with a group of friends and his wife, Wendy. So we get our first ghost who uh, is played by David Johansson, like we had said, and he's a cab driver. Uh, what'd you guys think of this ghost? It brought me back my PTSD from my cab ride in New York. Oh, did it? Yeah, it was just like that. Very similar, huh? Exactly. Really? Oh, yeah. Guy drove crazy. He was in and out of traffic. He was on the side of the freeway, driving along, passing people, yelling at them as he kept saying over and over again out his window, you don't fuck with yellow. You don't fuck with yellow. Yeah, well, I mean, that's New York cab drivers, He man. had the windows rolled down, and every time he drove on the side of the freeway, rocks were pelting me in the face, like little pebbles and stuff as he was driving. And then someone cuts him off, and he just loses his shit. So yeah, well. I was in the front seat texting my dad, who was in the back seat, I love you, you've been a good father. <laughs> I may never see you again. But this is where we say goodbye. Mm-hmm. What did you think of it? I liked him. I yep. thought that his uh, I thought that his character didn't necessarily have a whole bunch to do, but I thought he was a likable character. Yeah, I mean, all three of these ghosts are just kind of uh, narrators that take our our character along, and you know, going into this, you you have to think that Frank's not going to care at this point. I mean, this is this is the first one, and he goes back and he sees himself as a little kid. And I thought it was funny that Brian Doyle Murray plays his father, but it's really his older brother. Which I, I all of his brothers like, appear in this. Movie. Yeah, I know I, that was crazy. Um, but he gets uh, some beef as a Christmas present, and that's uh, that's Frank's childhood. You know what I mean? And so I thought that. It wasn't too bad, you know. I, I did like the bit when they're in the cab and uh, the years go in reverse on the... So show us what year we are at. Yeah, I, I did like that. I mm-hmm. appreciated that. What did you think about the whole interaction of, at first, Frank says, I'm not going to break down crying. I'm not going to cry just like the quote you did in the beginning. Uh, but you can start seeing Bill Murray break as he's watching his mother and... His interaction, you you can see that emotion really coming out of him. Yeah, and the ghost of Christmas past calls it too, Mm -hmm. right? He says, Niagara Falls. Um, And then it's 1968, and it's at the crazy office party, and we get to see his old boss, and then we get to meet Claire for the first time. Well, before that, what I really liked is the lady that was running around who was Xeroxing her butt and giving it out as gifts to everyone, and Frank seemed awfully upset that he didn't hit that. I know. <laughs> what are you doing? Go back. Go back. Um, well, just, you know, somebody Xeroxing their butt. Yeah, know? at an office party. That's no big deal. Yeah. I mean, who Again, who different times. Who cares? This is where he does meet Claire, and they meet outside of a laundromat or something. Yeah, she, she's coming out. He's going in, and she hits him with the door. Yeah, and he has a lump on his head, and this is where he gets the name Lumpy. And uh, prior to this, that one gal asked... Frank, if he wanted to go have Chinese food, and he says, no, Chinese food's bad for you, this, that, and the other, and then after he runs in with Claire, Claire says, let's go have Chinese food. So, No, I don't know if I ever caught that. Yeah. That's interesting. And then it's one year later, 1969, Christmas Eve, and he and Claire are definitely a couple together. Uh, did you notice the book that she gave him? I paid attention, and then I forgot. Yes. The Kama Sutra. That's right. Which I thought was funny. 
and he gave her Ginsu knives. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which is actually a goof in the movie. Really? Because uh, Ginsu wasn't out at that time. Oh. In fact, I guess I read that the knife maker did make knives, but they weren't using the name Ginsu. And then we jump forward to 1971, and his relationship with Claire is strained to the point where we begin to see this is where they're probably going to part ways. Yeah, this is that bit where he, uh, our character has to choose fame or love. Well, which would you... That's just, I, When I was watching this movie again, I kept thinking, which decision would I have made and where would my support have been? And we don't know what's going on between them and you know up to this point, but he's got a chance here to really further his career but it would cost just a dinner out with friends i, I think it was more than just a dinner out with friends that's how was, claire saw it yeah I, well i think it was the point right it's uh, this happens one night a year and that you know you should make time and we already had plans mm-hmm. um but i can see frank's point of view because this preston guy doesn't make plans mm-hmm. he was just walking through the studio and he's the boss right and he said hey come to dinner with us that was just an off-the-cuff thing. So if you're Frank, what do you do? Because my thought was, here's Frank who's making a living in a dog suit. What was the name of the dog? Floppy, Fluffy, something Sparky? like that. Sparky? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. Freddy? I don't know. He's got in a dog suit, and this is his chance to actually move up in his career and get out of this dog suit. So I don't know. I, I kind of almost felt like maybe she should have had some understanding. Yeah, but maybe. Like I said, this may be just Frank has ignored her for a long time and put off their friends for a long time. Eh, possibly. And so this goes to show what this movie lacks. These spirits are there to help guide and let Frank understand his consequences that have happened because of the way that he's made his decisions. And so instead of our instead of our ghost explaining, they're only showing where they could have strengthened the story if they would have spoken about the, the consequences to the choices that he has made. Yes, they, they could have told us more. However, I don't know, at least for me, I don't know if it would have made a difference because we know where Frank is when we first meet him. So he's already made his choice. And they are showing him that moment because it's at that moment he chose himself over everybody. But you have to also understand, he's what, in his mid-20s at that time? Probably. In the television industry. industry. Mm-hmm. In New York, I mean, I think he makes the choice. He, he makes the choice that he made, but the point of the ghost coming to help him was that it's not too late. Well, the and, other, that's, and I think that's what, I don't think I needed more of that. The other thing I thought about when I saw this scene is that maybe it wasn't so much that Frank made this choice to stay and her choice to leave. It's that she basically threw it out there that maybe then we need to take a break and he didn't go after her. And maybe that was the mistake was when she basically said, you know, it, it's over if you stay here. He chose the career versus love. So maybe that was the point of the interaction that we were supposed to focus on. So I guess instead of them, you know, having the ghost uh, convey, you know, look at the consequences that you have had, we are led to the shelter because when he comes back to present day, he's he ends up at the outreach shelter. 
Yeah, he wants to. It it obviously touched something because he wanted to get back into touch with her. Exactly. Right, and she had come to the studio, and he kind of blew her off. Right, like just like old times. And he goes to the shelter, and I I found this bit uh, entertaining. You know, all the homeless people thought that he. Uh, was Richard Burton or, you know, something like that. Yeah. And so he does an impression of Richard Burton for them, uh, which is a callback to his days on Saturday night live, because I guess he could do a real good Richard Burton. Um, but what gets me is he plays along with it. And when he starts, if you notice the two guys, Herman and that other dude, the other dude grabs onto Herman. Like it was such an emotional moment for him. And just in that brief moment, Frank Cross was actually able to bring joy to somebody. Mm -hmm. So I, I thought that was a good bit. I kept thinking of why he keeps running to Claire. You know, obviously he still had emotional. I felt like maybe she was his safe place. He was, there was the one place, the one person that actually knew the real Frank. Yeah, maybe, but I mean, you're, this is 12 years later. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I think that. It, it, she probably was his safe place and probably the only safe place he's really ever had. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it would, it makes sense that uh, he would run back to her once the ghosts put her back into his life. The homeless lady, the older lady, was she the one from Goonies as well as Throw Mama from the Train? Yes. Yes, she was. Yes, I thought I, thought I recognized her. Yeah. So for just a moment, we have Frank. He kind of comes back, but then all of a sudden, boom, he goes cold. And Frank Cross is back. That's right. Well, you want to help somebody, help yourself. Yeah, he's angry that she's focusing on all these other people and helping all these other people instead of giving him all the attention. Right. So he's being selfish mm -hmm. again. And then so uh, he leaves and he's all pissed off and he gets back to the studio. And this is where uh, we get the second ghost, the ghost of Christmas present. Uh, played by Carol Kane. Delightful. I, like I said earlier, I think that I enjoyed it much more this time around, and it was her playfulness and her giddiness, and, you know, she totally reminded me of Glenda the Good Witch from Wizard of Oz. She was meant to. Right. And so, um, but I just found it so, I don't know why, I found it so funny that all she does is beat the shit out of him. I guess for her dancing scenes, for her ballerina type scenes, they had another actress, like a stunt double, who was supposed to do all those moves. But somebody saw, I don't know if it was uh, Bill Murray, or somebody saw her doing, like trying to do the ballet moves, Carol King, and thought it was so great that she was so comical the way she did it that they had to have her do it in the movie. Yeah, so what we got was uh, Carol King. And so the first place that uh, the ghost of Christmas present takes Frank is to Grace's apartment. And we get to see uh, Grace's family and we get to see, they do a really good job without really saying it, that times are hard, but yet even though times are hard, there's still time for family and there is a lot of love in that place. And we find out that Grace's husband was murdered or killed or whatever. And, um, you know, that Kelvin saw it. He's still traumatized by it. And you can kind of see it kind of wash over Frank a little bit, you know. We also find out that he hasn't given her a raise in forever. I know. And the ghost calls him on it, right? Mm -hmm. And he's like, okay, uh, he, he, she's going to get a raise, blah, blah, blah. And this after his Christmas gift, which was the monogram towel. Yeah. 
uh, the kids walk in. Hey, mama, did you get the bonus? And she's drying her hair with it. <laughs> so, you know, fucking Frank Cross. Then we go to James's Christmas. And I like this one because it's very subtle. Uh, James, his brother, defends Frank through thick and thin because that's what family does. And he, he knows that Frank is an asshole. He probably always has been his entire life, but that's his older brother. And I'm sure he still believes that somewhere in that coldness is a human being. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He believes and he keeps defending it, even though his wife and all the party guests who happens to be one of other, uh, another of Bill Murray's brothers, uh, kind of not bash him, but they don't really talk good about him, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then they open their opening gifts and uh james gets that humongous vcr and uh frank immediately is like what that was still that was supposed to be a fucking towel yeah she's you know? fired yeah totally after he just gave her a raise and all of that this is one of the scenes i would say there's maybe two or three scenes that you can see directly lifted from uh the original christmas carol because this is this is almost identical to how it happens in the Christmas Carol of Scrooge's brother defending him when the wife is saying no no he's a horrible person and just stands up for him so it's like this this is one of those scenes that yeah exactly yeah well I think and it, this might just be me but I mean the whole story is very I know they say loosely based on whatever mm -hmm. but whatever but just be what was Ebenezer Scrooge uh, what was his occupation I think. He was like a banker or loan. That's what loan that guy. what pops into my head, right? Banker, television executive producer, it's the same fucking thing in, mm -hmm. in my book, right? They both had assistants that weren't very well taken care of, right. And had to work on Christmas Eve. And they got the brother that defends them, and they this, both that, have and the tiny other. Tim, right? Exactly. So mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of this is just, I mean, the story's there. Yeah, just They're without just, the violence and the shotgun, right? You didn't like the shotgun? I'm just saying, just it didn't have a shotgun in the original one that I recall. I don't think shotguns were around when that yeah. one was written. Musket. <laughs> a musket. There you go. There you go. What do you think of the trivia when they're they're asking the trivia questions? Were you shouting out the answer? <laughs> uh, I actually forgot the USS Minnow. You forgot? How did you forget that one? I don't know. They were uh, they were going on doing the questions, and I'm like, what the fuck is the boat? Just sit right back, and I start singing the song. Right, and I go, oh, it's the Minnow. Uh, that was put in there on purpose. Do you know why? Uh, why? Because one of Richard Donner's earliest uh, jobs was working on the crew of Gilligan's Island. Get the fuck out of here, really? Well, I read that in a piece of trivia. Oh, wow. James still defends Frank, despite Frank's cheap gifts and his refusal to share in Christmas celebrations with him. The ghost leaves him in a utility space under a sidewalk where Herman, who Frank finds to his shock, has frozen to death. Frank desperately tries to escape, breaking through a boarded-up door to end back upon the set of the production. Preston directs Bryce to take over rehearsals to give Frank some time off. Retiring to his office, Frank finds a drunken Elliot waiting for him with the shotgun, ready to kill Frank for causing him to lose his job and family. Frank escapes into the elevator where the grim reaper-like ghost of Christmas future awaits. The ghost takes him to the future where a now catatonic Kelvin has been institutionalized. Claire has heeded Frank's words and lives a decadent life, now viewing the homeless with disgust. Finally, the ghost shows Frank's cremation ceremony, with only James and Wendy in attendance. Frightened and remorseful, 
Frank is further shocked to find himself inside the casket and is about to be incinerated. He breaks his way out, ending up out of the elevator and facing Elliot. Frank's completely changed demeanor surprises Elliot, particularly when Frank offers him a high-level executive position. So we talked about earlier, and yeah, I guess the ghost did leave him underneath the... So he really does see fucking Herman. Yeah. That's fucked up. Yeah, which is sad because one of the things that Herman last said to him was, can I have $2 to heat my place? Yeah. And he said no as he was leaving. So obviously what Herman meant was he needed it so he could keep warm down in that little hole area. Yeah. But I mean, Frank does yell at him though. I mean, why didn't you stay with Claire? Claire would have taken care of you. Why'd you do it? Why'd you do it? So I think he felt a little bit of responsibility. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and so when he gets back to the station, uh, he's completely freaking out. He's unhinged. And, uh, Preston just kind of like, what the fuck is going on here? We really get to see just how much of a prick Preston is when he lets everyone go for lunch. And Frank says, you know, that's my job. Oh, everybody's going to have to come back now. Oh, that's Bryce. That was Bryce. Bryce. I'm sorry, Bryce does that. Did he do that right this part? Yes, that that is such a... That was probably something I would do. (laughs) Frank's got to tell you something. Go to lunch. (laughs) Yeah, that was good. The uh, ghost of Christmas future is uh, meeting up with Frank in the elevator. What'd you guys think of this bit? Did you guys really think it was the ghost of, did you really think it was the Grim Reaper or did you think it was the character for the play? I at first thought it was the real one. And so it was a nice touch to have it be a part of the production. Because at this point in the story, it could have been either or. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, for sure. Uh, did you notice that when uh, Bill Murray swings his arm, he really clocks Alfred Woodard in the fucking face? Yeah, and that was an, an accident. Yeah, total accident, and then they kept it. Yeah, I love him. You know, Bill Murray is really good at the, I don't know if the best term, over-exaggerated, like, just mannerisms, that the freak out that he has in the elevator and the shaking, and I just love, that's one of the things I love about Bill Murray is he can do such a great comedic, emotional outburst and the thing about bill murray a lot of it is uh, he's unpredictable mm-hmm. you know what i mean and uh if we ever do get to caddyshack uh we'll have to talk about his scene with chevy chase because they are two of the most difficult people to ever work with in hollywood so they say so the fact that they got that scene done it's good shit anyways one of the things that we didn't touch on is another running gag kind of running throughout the whole movie is elliot's day and how his day is going and how he keeps trying to get drunk and the bottle keeps getting broken for whatever reason he goes to give blood and he passes out afterwards and someone takes the money and the alcohol from him i think in his watch too his wife leaves him he has just a hell of a day for just getting fired yeah i mean he loses everything throughout so he's been driven to the point where now he's showing up with a shotgun oh yeah uh i like the bit when he does get fired and he's trying he's having the conversation with his wife as he's walking home mm-hmm. uh, i got fired honey i mean this is kind of funny it's good stuff yeah i i did like the uh the elmer fudd line that he delivers of you know uh, rascally rabbit or what's he say something like that i'm not uh yeah i know what you're talking about but yeah so elliot comes after frank with the shotgun and then in the meantime uh the, the production's beginning. The production's beginning. Uh, and incidentally, a movie about 
Christmas Carol, focusing on a live production of A Christmas Carol. Scrooged was meta before meta was a thing. But uh, the production has started, and now we get the ghost of Christmas Future. And we also have one other little moment. He's looking at that picture of him and his brother that his brother sent for a Christmas gift. Yes, yes, yes absolutely. And it comes back, right? And yeah. uh, when they're unwrapping the gift, uh, they're like, what did you get, Frank? Blah, blah, blah. And his wife, Wendy, he made him this cute little frame, this, that, and the other. And he was just kind of nonchalant about it. Well, I like the ghost of uh, Christmas present was covering his ears. And I know something you oh my don't. God, that was so funny. Yeah, that nice little, nice little bit there. Nice little bit there. Um, and so now that the uh, ghost of Christmas future is here, uh, we see Calvin uh, has been institutionalized and still not talking. And Frank feels really bad about that, starting to get through to him a little bit. Um, and then after that, we're shown Claire, Claire uh, being a socialite. Mm-hmm. and uh, above everybody, and I think that shocks Frank or horrifies him. I think it horrifies him in that I think everything that he deep down loved about her, he'd just seen that he's driven out of her. Sure, sure, 100%. Um, and then, you know. A little bit later in his life. We get his funeral. Where and, two people show up. And we. And what's funny is he thinks that uh, he's there with Wendy, the wife, uh, for James's funeral, mm-hmm. but then we see James walk in, and then he realizes nobody came, no one went to his funeral. You know, the thing I always wonder about this, and kind of about the original Christmas Carol, is both seem to have their epiphany facing their own mortality. That here he's seeing that he's dead. Now, is it because he doesn't want to be dead, or he doesn't want to have his life end, or is it because jump back to Calvin? He now realizes he can't fix things. He can't fix Claire. He can't fix Calvin. He can't do everything he wants to do. He's out of time. Well, there's a reason death is always the last thing that people are shown, right? Mm -hmm. Because at that point, it's too late. So you have to change it before you get to this point. So yeah, uh, he's been shown his death. So now he's got to go back and fix it. I dug the effect of the Christmas future ghost having the television screen. I thought that was a nice touch for Frank. So did I. I really enjoyed that one too. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. What do you think of the, uh, was it two or three little guys inside of his rib cage? They look like puppets yeah. and, you know, but for the 80s, so far, you know, the effects in this film haven't been half bad. I like the bit where he's being held out the window. I like when the cab goes through the other, the truck or whatever. Uh, this one felt hokey. I'll just say it. This one felt a little hokey, but whatever. I mean, it didn't take me out of it. Mm-hmm. Not by any means. Um, so he realizes that it's not too late. And just like the Christmas Carol, he wants to start making amends and atone for his behavior before it's too late. And he before with- he can do that, Elliot's there shooting at him, yeah. which, you know, whether it whether it uh, deserves a place in this film or not, I mean, it makes sense for 1988. So, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I do like at this point where he comes out of the elevator, realizing it's not too late, dealing with Elliot, that interaction yeah. of Elliot is just taken by surprise yeah. of, I'm trying to kill this guy and he's just being super nice to me. It's freaking me out. And I love the fact that Frank was giving him raspberries uh, on his stomach. Because, like Carol Kane. Because that's what Carol Kane was doing to him. 
I thought that mm-hmm. was funny. And I like how Frank's like, you know, I'm going to hire you back twice your salary, give you an executive position. You like my office? No. Okay, then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With Elliot's help, Frank returns to the production set, secures Bryce in a control room, and breaks into the show's live broadcast to speak of his new appreciation for life. He apologizes on air to Grace, James, and the cast and crew and makes a passionate plea to Claire to come back to him. Claire sees this at the shelter and heads for the network with the help of the ghost of Christmas past. As Frank and Claire reunite, Calvin comes up to Frank and speaks for the first time, reminding him to say the words, God bless us, everyone. Much to Grace's elation. Frank leads the crew in singing, Put a Little Love in Your Heart, and sees Lou, the three ghosts, and the ghost of Herman smiling and waving back to him while singing along. Roll credits. Uh, so this bit, he it's not too late. He can still save himself. He runs out and he makes this uh, speech. Well, first he has Elliot break into the control room with the shotgun so that they can't turn off right. Frank from saying his message, which I thought, right there, he's fired. Well, maybe, but, you know, desperate times, desperate measures. Uh, and then I like the bit where uh, he is in the control room and the gun accidentally goes off and everyone's freaking out. But I like when Bryce is tied up. And then that gal who keeps getting all that shit. It's the mistletoe. The mistletoe she wants to make out with him. Uh, I thought that was kind of funny. I really dug it when Preston calls the control room and he ends up getting Elliot on the phone. Yes. And whose idea was this? And what does he say? Yours? No, he goes, "Um, this was Bryce's idea. Oh, yeah, he blames Bryce. (laughs) Did you guys know uh, that this whole speech by Bill Murray was improvised? It was ad-libbed? I think it was pretty obvious. Shocker. Really? I think I remember uh, when I first saw it that this speech almost didn't fit. It didn't fit the flow of the movie. It just kind of felt like him rambling. But when I watched it last night, I thought... It does fit, and it does tie it all together. Um, and knowing the making of the film, and knowing that Bill Murray put his heart into at least this bit, uh, it does pay off. And uh, it's yes, it's a cheesy ending, and it's uh, you know happily ever after. But that's the way the, a Christmas Carol ends, right? And mm-hmm. so I think that when Bill Murray did it in this, um, I, I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. I kind of had the opposite reaction in that I understood the message and I understood what they were trying to go for, but the actual lines that he delivered, the ad lib that he did, like you were saying, it felt like he just rambled. And while there were points of it that yes, the message was there, I felt like it could have been worded better that maybe the scripted version might have made more sense. Uh, Just because he was just all over the place, you know, talking about this and talking about that. It's one of the places that loses me in this movie. Yeah, well, I, I, I see how you feel that way. Mm-hmm. What do you think of it? When I saw it initially, I thought that this was a muddled mess. And it felt very amateurish because he was just jumping all over the place. But in watching this movie last night, it really warmed me. And I remembered the movie very differently. And I had a much more pleasant experience watching it this time around. And it really worked for me. And in general, I thought that uh, Frank's uh, impassioned speech at the end was really touching. And I was moved by it. 
And I definitely didn't feel that, you know, when I saw it in the theater the first time, it, it just felt like a hot mess. Agreed. Yeah. So watching the movie this time around, it just worked for me. What'd you think of them all breaking out into song? Typical. Uh, it was funny because for, uh, I remember that song. I remember it dominating the airwaves. Yep. I remember the video. And I thought it was Aretha Franklin at first, Mm -hmm. last night, going into it or whatever. But what I forgot was that it was Al Green. It's Al Green and Annie Lennox. That's a fantastic duo. I'm not too keen on the song, but it's a fantastic duo. Mm -hmm. Right before the song, I forgot to mention the whole line with Calvin and the uh, God bless us everyone. Uh, Earlier on the movie, he's watching TV when we get to visit Grace's... Uh, apartment or whatever it is and that line is delivered on the tv so i guess that would be our example of foreshadowing yeah um it is i will give you that one but if you didn't see that coming not you john but if you as a viewer didn't see that coming from that moment and him not being able to talk and then and then him having that line i mean Come on. You're, I mean, you're blind. Yeah, they painted that picture pretty fucking obviously. Now, I think my one complaint about this scene is we didn't get enough Mary Lou Renton. <laughs> All of those people were just uh, just cameos. Buddy my, Hackett, Jamie Farr. My dad, that was my dad's one comment at the end of the movie is, why didn't we get to see Jamie Farr? I'm like, we did for like two seconds. Yeah, he was thinking back to MASH. What's yeah. the name of, what was his character's name on Clinger. MASH? Very good, comic book guy. Very good. That was my life growing up. MASH? My dad watched MASH every single night for dinner. Yeah, my uh, my my dad liked MASH too, and Barney Miller. Yep. Barney Miller was a big one. Again, you talked about Bill Murray improvising and ad-libbing this whole scene. What do you think of during the song, he starts talking to the theater? Okay, you, you on the left side of the theater, you on the right side of the theater. Yeah, I mean, it... It is what it is. little hokey? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I would say it's hokey. It didn't take me out of it or anything because the movie's fucking over. You so could, I didn't really You could say again, he was, you know, ahead of everything else. Ahead and he was the breaking time. the, what, the yeah. fourth plane or whatever? Fourth wall. The for- breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. Uh, did you catch his Feed Me Seymour line at the end? Mm-hmm. Yeah. His little eyelid. lib yeah. has nothing to do with nothing except for the fact that we, he was in Little Shop of Words. Yeah, he was Steve Martin's dental patient. Yeah. What do you think of us getting a resolution to Herman? That I I got the impression that maybe him and the uh, Ghost of Christmas Present were kind of a thing now. Oh, maybe I thought it was very Star Warsy. Did you? Yeah, that's what I thought of Bl- too. Blue Gullies. Yeah, the uh, Force Ghosts. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought it was. You know, it was fine. It worked. You know, it's it's happy to it, it's good to know that Herman went to heaven mm-hmm. or whatever or has a new job. Or has a new job, the ghost, the ghost of New New York sewers. Yeah, he gets to go torture other people now. Sure, and that was Scrooged. You know, uh, Frank had quite the journey. Did for sure. Did you say journey? Oh, for fuck's sakes! And now it's time for John's. Moment. This is the point in our podcast where I go ahead and take whatever movie we're reviewing and compare it to the greatest movie series ever made, Lord of the Rings. So for Scrooged, I'm going to choose Frank Cross as our Frodo. While he doesn't start out as the hero, he's the one who's put on a journey, except his journey is one of self-exploration, basically an internal battle between good and evil. 
different from the other movies we reviewed, there is no one particular Sam. Sam in Lord of the Rings was the character who helped Frodo most along the way on his journey, both physically and mentally. Often, when Frodo was ready to give up and give in, it was Frank's influence. I mean, sorry, it was Sam's influence who put Frodo back on the right path. In this case, or in the case of Scrooge, Frank is put on the path and guided by ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future. Therefore, each one is Frank's Sam. Each ghost takes on the role of Sam during different phases of this flick. Uh, Claire Phillips' role in Scrooge was more of a goal of Frank, a reward if he changed. More than an active player on his journey, she was more of an idea, more of something that you know she represented. In a way, she represented Frank going full circle and returning to where he was happiest, much like Frodo's desire to return back to the Shire once his journey's complete. Therefore, in this movie, Claire represented the Shire, to Frank. Grace Cooley serves as Frank's right hand. While she doesn't always agree with his actions, she still supports him and follows his orders. She's a loyal psychic and in a lot of ways portrays Legolas in that type of role. Lou Hayward is the ghost who first put Frank on his journey. He's the one who tries us to advise Frank to change his ways. It's his wisdom and guidance that makes him our Gandalf. Elliot Loudermilk at first tries to give advice to Frank, but then tries to hinder his journey. And later, he joins Frank on his mission to spread holiday spirit. When we are first introduced to Faramir, the younger brother of Boromir in Lord of the Rings, he first questions Frodo, then tries to end his journey, only to later assist Frodo on his journey by letting him go. This makes Elliot our Faramir. Preston Rhinelander. Frank's boss is the one who wants to control Frank. His power over Frank has corrupted him throughout the years, and he tries repeatedly to keep Frank on the wrong path. This makes Preston our Sauron. Bryce Cummings throughout the movie really only serves himself. He would like nothing better than to undermine Frank and steal his precious. He keeps in the shadows, pretending to help Frank, but in reality planning to betray him all along. This makes, uh, this makes Bryce our golem. So what is the precious? What is the one ring? In Scrooge, Frank is put on a journey to recover what he lost, not something physical. He is on the path for success. On his path for success, he lost his humanity. He lost his heart. It wasn't a pursuit of riches like we saw in Violet Night, but more of a desire to move up and become more successful. The path Frank took, losing his heart, cost him Claire and his humanity. It was the influence of the IBC Television Corporation that corrupted Frank. Therefore, it's the IBC Television Corporation, or more of the power that Frank's position gave him, that was his corruption. It basically was his precious, his position within that company. It was, it was his one ring. It's when he's willing to trade his job to, to regain his heart that he destroyed the company's power over him, therefore destroyed that ring. And there you have it, my comparison between Scrooge and Lord of the Ring. Bring on the grades.
Does he get fired at the end of this film? We don't know for sure, but he's willing to sacrifice his job. And I think that's the big point of it is he doesn't care at that point. He just wants to do right. Right. But they don't tell us, right? No. But but we give Preston's reaction with his wife that he might be okay. Yeah. Maybe. I see where you're going with that. I was just Mm -hmm. curious. What do you think? I like the uh, IBC being the one ring. I thought that was good. I also uh, don't disagree with Sauron. But after that, it's like, well, the Shire. So I'm going to give it a solid C. I liked the Shire. Just because it's a place, it was the feeling. And it's the feeling of home. And when he looked at Claire, he saw home. <clears throat> um, kudos for the Shire one. And one that we haven't heard of, Faramir. I didn't see that one coming out. And I can, it's a small correlation but i i can see it it wasn't too uh, it wasn't too shabby so uh two weeks in a row merry christmas motherfucker i'll give you a b i'll take it and that was john's moment (laughs) what i just think it, it just has to be the way that it is that one of us will give a better grade and one of us will give a lesser grade. It's, oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's your bane of, of existence. <laughs> well, the day that you both give me a good grade, you know, is the end of my existence. So. Or the end of the podcast, one of the, one of the two. Yeah. Uh, so, listeners, when you hear uh, both the professor and myself give the comic book guy an A for his Lord of the Rings, that will, in fact, be the series finale to Three Guys in a Flick. So... Uh, speaking of series finales, what do you guys think? You guys ready to rate this bitch? I think we should rate this bitch. John, you want to rate this bitch? I guess I could do it. Uh, Professor, how do we do our ratings? We do our ratings on a scale of one to five fucks. Five fucks is a movie that is cinematic gold. You are ready to watch this movie anytime somebody says, you want to watch this? Yes, I do. A one fuck movie is a movie where you have watched it and you're kind of sort of done with it. And what's a zero? A zero Somebody owes me two hours of my life back. Fuck you for making me watch this. Or in other words, we just don't give a fuck. Would you say it's kind of like a toaster to the face? No, I would say a toaster to the face would be a one. One fuck would be a toaster to the face. The Um, bitch hit me with a toaster. I love that. Uh, A zero fuck is ending up in the sewer frozen like a popsicle. How about that? How about preferring that? Oh, prefer, <laughs> preferring to end up in a sewer like a popsicle than watching this film again? Yes, exactly. I, I like that. That's good. That That's is good. a good one. Yeah. Happy holidays and Merry Christmas, motherfuckers. Um, who wants to go first? Fine, I'll go first. I was just going to say you're going first. <laughs> All right, Professor, hit us. The movie Scrooged for me is... A pleasant surprise. I was not anticipating myself liking this all that much because my previous recollection of the movie was going to be... (sighs) All right. Because I didn't have a fond recollection of liking that much of this movie. But the the movie actually, it moves well. And I appreciate the cadence that the movie has because it doesn't linger any place for too long. I also really, really enjoyed uh, the uh, ghost of Christmas present. Carol Kane, I think, was my favorite character in the movie. She was just a delight to watch. And I didn't remember having any type of feelings like that for her the first, you know, several times I watched the movie. But as I stated earlier, this movie really surprised me by how uh, endearing I found the movie to be by the end of, you know, 
Bill Murray talking to the audience. And so that was a very pleasant surprise, which leads me to believe that this could be a movie that I might throw into the rotation for the holidays, or at the very least, it would be on the list. Maybe I get to it, maybe I don't, but it is going to be something that I give a lot more uh, respect to. I didn't necessarily care all that much about the ghost of Christmas past. He was passable, but I didn't think that there was enough uh, introspective thoughts that I was anticipating the ghosts of Christmas and past, or Christmas past and Christmas present to have our protagonist linger on to make them realize, oh yeah, shit. Okay, I guess I, I guess I've really fucked some stuff up. And it is conveyed when we see uh, Frank's face, certainly, several times. Bill Murray does a really nice job of conveying his emotions with his eyes. I think that that is something that he has as one of his gifts as an actor, that his face is very uh, impressionable for giving us the different moods. Insincere, asshole, he plays that to a T. That is one of his gifts as well. He is so good at being insincere. And I always enjoy that attitude out of him whenever I see that in a Bill Murray movie. In general, I thought that the movie is a solid three-fuck movie. Three fucks from the professor. All right. Uh, when we first decided that we were going to watch Scrooged, uh, you texted us all and said that it was f- painful to get through. Yeah, so when I watched na- it on Tuesday night. Yeah. So now I want to hear your review because I want to know why it was so painful. Okay. Scrooge is an attempt to take a serious story of redemption and turn it into a comedy. While this should have worked, and Scrooge does contain several laughs, the movie suffered for me in three main ways. One, in many places, the movie did seem to drag for me, and that could be because I've seen the movie so many times that I knew what was coming, and it just got old after a while. Two, Bill Murray is funny, and often his ad-libbing is great, but it just didn't work in this movie as much as he did. There was so much of it that it kind of got annoying, and it kind of made me want to think about What was he actually supposed to say? What were the real lines? And especially that ending monologue, it just didn't work for me. I kind of wished, you know, I knew what it was originally supposed to say. I watched this movie with my wife and father, and I could see that all three of us were losing interest throughout the movie. I looked over at my father, and he just started looking at his phone at one point. Uh, Julie got up to go do something, so... Again, like I said, this movie dragged a little bit for all three of us. In regards to Murray's ad-libbing, Richard Donner described the experience of directing Murray as, it's like standing on the 42nd Street of Broadway, or 42nd Street and Broadway, and the lights are out, and you're trying to drag traffic as a traffic cop. So much ad-libbing made this movie feel very chaotic to me. And rumor has it, most of Frank's dialogue was ad-libbed. And the speech at the end, again, as I mentioned, took me out of the movie. Maybe I liked this movie the first time I saw it, but it feels like it's been downhill every time I've rewatched it. This last viewing, I almost felt like the movie was boring. It's not a movie I'm going to keep on my holiday watch list and definitely not a movie I'm going to watch outside of Christmas. Scrooge has 
great production values, a good cast, and some clever one-liners, and the draw of Bill Murray. But beyond that, bah humbug all the way. So for that reason, I'm giving Scrooged two fucks. All right. Two fucks from the comic book guy, three fucks from the professor. I suppose it is my turn. Well, who's left? Listen, motherfucker, we only do 80s Billy Joel. Okay, so I guess in reference, a painful movie is two fucks. That's fair. That's less than halfway. Still can be painful. I was expecting a fucking zero or a point five or something. I was thinking like a one. Only because you use the words painful. So that's all. I I was just curious. The reason why, and not to try to defend myself or anything, the reason why I didn't give it a zero, because I remember back when I first saw it, I did enjoy the movie. And I did laugh at certain parts. It's just the fact that, one, it felt like a drag this time for me, that almost felt like you know going through my phone and trying to find a different movie we should have reviewed. And two, that that ending monologue takes me out of the movie every time. It's just the downer for me. Yeah, well, there you go. There you go. And uh, I thought it was ironic and funny that you said that your dad pulled out his phone during the movie. Cause, totally. Right? Because that's a John thing. <laughs> yeah, well, there is that. But if I'm into a movie, I don't do that. I don't believe that for two seconds. Okay. Scrooged. I have to say that uh, a couple years ago when Elise and I watched it, I remember thinking, ah, this doesn't really hold up. It's uh, kind of boring. Um, even back then until this day, I think it's probably about 10 minutes too long. Um, but a lot of that is that ending monologue where, um, you know, I just found out that it was ad-libbed and that most of the crew thought that Bill Murray was having a fucking mental breakdown. You know what I mean? But the fact that he did what he did and Donner used it because it moved him at some point. Um, I mean, obviously it worked right. And like you were saying, professor, it wasn't until last night that you kind of looked at it in a whole new light. And as I was watching it last night, it, 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 it kind of, it came to me in a new light and I appreciated all of the actors performances this time around. And maybe it's because of doing the pod or, you know, just the way I am, who knows, but I really appreciated Bill Murray in this role. And at the time, I don't know who else could have done it. Right. He plays that smug, arrogant, cocky asshole perfectly. But in the flip side of that coin, in an instant, he can, turn and be lovable and heartfelt and a good human being you know and so bill murray did definitely bring that the rest of the cast i thought was fucking solid um carol kane uh, i think is my favorite of the ghosts as well not that the ghost of christmas future you have much to work with but out of the two uh carol kane definitely and it goes back to her beating the shit out of him i don't know why i find that so funny uh karen allen a delight even though she's in it for a few minutes elfrey woodard solid the rest of the supporting cast good danny elfman's uh soundtrack you know danny elfman is a great composer um richard donner as the director brought together um uh, a, a crew and a cast that he thought he could make something uh, that was meant to be a comedy. It, they meant to take a Christmas Carol and turn it into a dark comedy or a horror comedy, if you will. So I think in that regards, they did very well. And it, it, and it showed the time uh, that we lived in then. And even though it came out, then it is still very much relevant today. You know, uh, 
being a being a bad person and coming to terms and realizing that you can change and you don't have to be this way um, is an age long uh, part of life, right? We all are faced with decisions every day that can make us a good person or a bad person or whatever. But the fact that there's still time, there's still time for redemption. That is at the heart of this story. And it worked whenever the Christmas Carol came out, 19 whatever, uh, to 2022. It still works today. Scrooged has jumped up in my holiday uh, viewings of movies, I guess, if you will, my, uh, my holiday catalog. Not by much. But as we said in the beginning of this podcast, there's probably not much to choose from. Right, you have Die Hard, you have Elf, you have Home Alone, you have Christmas Story, you have uh, Christmas Vacation. Outside of that, okay, you have The Grinch. Outside of that, I mean, yeah, Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, It's a Wonderful Life, and then you get to the older ones. But everything else is just kind of noise to me. Um, but this one kind of stands out now because I've seen it in a whole new light. And so for that reason, I'm giving Scrooged three fucks. Okay. So with three fucks from me, three fucks from the professor, and two fucks from the comic book guy, that gives Scrooge an average of 2.7 fucks, which means it is slightly better than <laughs> Atonement, Christine, and Cobra, and slightly worse than Tommy Boy, Solo, A Star Wars Story. I know I probably don't even need to ask this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Go for it. You have a choice tonight. Go watch Scrooged again or go see Violet Night. Uh, you even have to think about that one? Yeah, because I don't feel like going anywhere. Now, if you said watch Scrooged again or you can stream Violet Night. Stream it. I think Violet Night wins. Totally. That's oh, a no-brainer. Yeah. So next week is our Christmas episode, and we are going to do the sequel to The Greatest Christmas Movie Ever Made. Um, if you still don't know what that is, uh, check out our website or any social media platforms that we're on uh, to get the teaser. And speaking of which, John, where can they find us? Well, as always, they can find us at our website, threeguysinaflick.com, where, as you just mentioned, I post a teaser for our next movie that we'll be reviewing, post our show notes, all of our podcasts, and some movie trivia. You can also find us at any of the social media sites as well as any place that hosts podcasts. All right. I just want to thank Zach, Ronnie, and Jill for listening. Keep on listening. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Ronnie. Thanks, Jill. And I want to thank everyone else who listens to us. We really do appreciate it. If there is a movie you want to hear us talk about, be sure to leave it in the comments on the website, and we will definitely throw it into the Bronco Helmet. After our Christmas Spectacular, we uh, have an end-of-the-year show. We're looking into hit the ground running in 2023 and we'll get back to some listener picks so for three guys in a flick i'm don i'm john and i'm ken thanks for listening and happy holidays merry christmas and put a little love in your heart baffled Baffled, ba ba baffled, baffled, baffled. What's your quote? Uh, I'm gonna do. <clears throat> oh, I like that one. You like it? Mm -hmm. Good, fucker. Yeah, take your earphones off though first, buddy. 
whole thing goes fucking flying. And the podcast is over. I want to thank everybody for coming in and, you know, showing up. John fucked it up for everybody. Oh, what movie are we doing? All right, here we go. Grinch. <laughs> the Grinch is fucking stupid. A bunch of other actors. Oops. <laughs> One job, dude. You could tell how much I was into this movie. Yeah, I still don't get it, but we'll, we'll talk we'll, about it. We'll, we'll talk about we'll it We'll get shortly. into it. Save that, it for the podcast. That's what I just fucking said. And what are we doing right now? Oh. Are we doing the podcast? Okay. Uh, who was it? Roger Ebert. Roger Ebert. Robert E. Robert Egypt. Did I say Ebert? Yeah. Robert Ebert. No. Roger. Roger. God bless America. I don't think we need to come up with a porn name for this I, one. I, just, I, I wrote it out. I think Scrooged is perfect. She got Scrooged. No, I got one for you. What? Are you ready? Spooged. <laughs> yeah. Ebenezer Spooged. <laughs> Look at the professor. He's turning red again. <laughs> All right, fuck off. Good night.